Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right. Well, this morning we are continuing in our study on the book of James. Now, our phrase for the year as Encounter Church is very simple, all in. And as I begin to process through God, what does this look like for our lives? I was directed to the book of James because what happens here, James, the half-brother of Jesus, by the way, he didn't receive Christ, didn't become a Christian until after the resurrection. He didn't become a believer, if you would, until after the resurrection. But God really began to get a hold of his heart. And here he is writing to the early believers, the Jewish believers, because he realizes there's a problem. He realizes that for some reason or another, they're immature in their spiritual journey. Now, we wouldn't want to readily admit that, and I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand this morning, but I'd venture to say that across this room, there are many of us that are spiritually immature. Maybe we've been a believer for a long time. Maybe we've had a relationship with Jesus for 15, 20, 25, 30, even 40 or 50 years, but we're still immature in our faith. What we're doing in this series is we're taking the time to process through the book of James to truly dissect it and discover what does it take to move us from being an average churchgoer to an all-in believer with Christ. Sounds like a pretty good journey, right? I'm going to encourage you and challenge you, as I've done every week, take some time between Sunday and Sunday and read through the book of James. Very simple read, not very many chapters. You can actually read it all in one sitting if you so desire, or maybe you want to read a chapter at a time and really begin to dissect on your own what God is trying to speak to you. In fact, you might ask this question of God, God, what do you want me to learn from your word today? Come on, that's a good question to ask. Because when we begin to ask that question, God begins to reveal things to us. Now, you may have read that chapter a hundred times, but suddenly you begin to say, God, reveal to me what you'd have me to understand today. And things begin to pop out on that page, and you're wondering, when did they put that in there? Come on, anybody ever experienced that before? Man, sometimes I'll go back and I'll read a story that we've read numerous times, you know, traditional Bible stories like Noah's Ark or Daniel and the Lion's Den, and I'll be reading through that and I'll be saying, God, help me to really grasp what you have, and suddenly something comes out and I'm like, when did you change the story? When did you put that in there? Because I don't remember that before. But see, what God is doing in that moment is he's making his word alive to us. And by the way, the word of God is alive. The Word of God is alive, and it's ready to be input into your heart and into your life. Now, here we have James. We're moving into chapter 2, and we find James making a transition from instruction to warning. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through any sort of training, but if you received good training, you probably were told "These these are some things that you need to do. But not only were you told these are things you need to do, you were, set, you were told these are things you should really avoid. These are things you should not do. Maybe you work in a factory here in the community, and, and as you're going through your training, they're like, do not push that button, whatever you do. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, what happens if I push that button? 
You know, I, I want to push that button. You know, there's a big sign on it. It's a flashing sign saying, don't push this. But I'm like, I want to. Well, here we learn from James that there's some things that we should avoid if we really want to move forward and become and be who God's called us to be. Look what it says in James chapter 2, verse 1. This is our text for today. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim you have faith in our gracious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to be a Christian? How can you claim to be a follower of Christ if you prefer some people over others? If you discard some people, when they walk in the room, you hide to the other side of the room. When they walk into Walmart, you move your little cart into another aisle. Come on, I know you're guilty. I've watched you in Walmart. How can we claim to be a believer? How can we claim to be a follower of Christ if we prefer some people over other people? Today, what I want to look at for just a few moments is truthfully something that we're all, all too familiar with, favoritism. Unfortunately, favoritism has become a large part in societal rings as well as in the body of Christ. However, there's nothing further from the heart of God. In fact, our text very boldly reminds us that there's no way that we can truly have a relationship with Jesus. There's no way that we can truly be all in if we show favoritism in life. We are to love each other, to love one another with the love of God. Is that easy? Come on, is that easy? Let's be really honest. Now, for those of you that are guests this morning, we try to be pretty transparent around here. So I'm just going to tell you, there's some people that are hard to love. Come on. I'm not raising my hand because I'm that person. I'm just... But there are some people in life, come on, you all know who they are, and if you don't know who they are, you might be them. <laughs> there are people in life that are so difficult to love. So what do we do? Where do we turn? We've got to love them. Do we really practice what we preach? Do we really put into motion what we claim we believe? We talk about it on a Sunday morning. Is it just good talk and no good action? Are we really good at dressing up and looking the part? The Pharisees in the Bible, they were really good. Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. Man, you look really nice on the outside. You clean up really good. You know what to do and when to do it. You know what to avoid and, and when to avoid it. But on the inside, if we're being completely transparent, on the inside, you're just whitewashed tombs. You're dead. There's no life in you. And I wonder, are we guilty of that? Are we guilty of just looking the part and having no action, no follow-through? It was theologian Warren Wearsby that once said this, immature people talk about their beliefs, but the mature person lives his faith. James tells us to be a doer of the word of God. Not just a hearer, 
Right now, you're all being hearers of the Word of God. We're, we're dissecting the Word of God right now. We're really trying to figure out how do we apply it to our lives today. But if all we do is let it go in one ear and dump out the other side, we've gained nothing. If all we do is let it go in one ear and we retain it, we've got knowledge, but if we don't have action, there's no purpose. And I wonder today, what's that look like for you? Because this is exactly what our text is trying to get across. We can't say one thing and turn around and do another thing. Simply hearing the word of God and talking about it cannot be a substitute for doing God's word. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. It's a real good place. Why? Because Jesus, so many times, he would do something meeting a need, stepping out in faith, demonstrating something, and then he would look to the disciples around him and he would say this, now go and do likewise. In other words, what you just saw me do, don't let this just be a good story that you share around the dinner table later on today. Don't let this just be a story that you tell your friends about tomorrow. But what you just saw me do, put that into action. Be a doer of the word of God. Simply hearing is no substitute. There's an old saying that simply says this, actions speak louder than what? Actions speak louder than words. My wife and I were joking with one another the other day, and I had done something for her and she hadn't said thank you, hadn't said I love you, hadn't just, we were just going through the day. And I said, thank you. I said, do you love me? <laughs> I mean, just, just harassing one another. And she says, you know I love you, I don't have to say it. And I said, I'd, I'd like to hear it. Actions speak louder than words. Sometimes we need to see it in action. Sometimes we need to see it moving forward. I challenge you today, don't just be a hearer, but be a doer of the word of God. Again, Warren Wearsby said it this way, the way we behave toward people indicates what we really believe about God. Wow. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that rocks my world. The way I behave toward people indicates what I believe about God. How can the two be, be in connection with one another? Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're really good at understanding. I've got to love God. Now, we don't always put into action of loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're working on that. We're, we're all a work in progress, right? But it's the daily choice of, Lord, I'm going to follow after you. God, I, I'm going all in with you. Lord, I want to love you not just with the Sunday morning self. God, I want to love you with all that I am, all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, all my ability, with everything that I am. God, I want to love you. But Jesus said the second is equally important. You, you can't have one without the other. It says love, love your neighbor as yourself. 
this is difficult to swallow. You mean how I treat other people is a direct connection to my relationship with Jesus? Absolutely. See, Jesus was not impressed with social status. In our culture, we're super impressed with social status. If you've got a nice car, you dress nice, you smell good, come on. But Jesus wasn't impressed. Nor was he swayed by that behavior or that life. The Bible tells me that even when his, in, or even his enemies recognized his lack of prejudice to those around him. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 22. It says, teacher... We know how honest you are. You teach about the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Teacher, we know how honest you are. You tell people about God. You you lead people in the right direction. And man, here's the part that really gets me. You don't show favoritism to people around you. You treat everybody the same. So the question that I have for you this morning is this. What do your enemies say about you? You guys are quiet. Let's make it a little easier. What do your coworkers say about you? Okay, make it a little easier. What do those in this room say about you? What about those in your household? What sort of life are you really living? Is it a life that puts God, God's word into action? Or is it a selfish life that is consumed with you and only you? You see, discriminating against others or favoritism, it hinders us from doing the one thing that is so dear to the heart of God. What is that? That's sharing the good news. That's effectively reaching people. Why? Because suddenly when I begin to promote others and push aside others, when I favor this person but push this one away, suddenly that taints my, my, uh, my testimony with God. Look what it says in James chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in the glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into the meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat... To the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Come on, think about that. Time and time again throughout the word of God, Jesus, by the world standard, had the opportunity, and truthfully, he had the right, again, according to the world standards, to look down upon those around him. Yet he chose time after time after time to reach out and make a connection when no one else did, to love the unlovable, to reach into the outcast, to love beyond the situation. Why? Because people, all people, truly matter 
to God. But here's what we have to understand. Jesus had to make the choice to love others. Loving those around you, loving your neighbor as yourself, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. There are going to be people that you just don't get along with. They rub you the wrong way. Your personalities clash. They really annoy you. You know what? None of that matters. In fact, look at your neighbor this morning and say, you know what? None of it matters. Jesus, in the word of God, and as James is writing here, he doesn't give a disclaimer. He doesn't say, you know what? You should love people around you. You should love your enemies. You should love your neighbors unless they're really annoying. I mean, we'd want to put that in there. I, I, I would want to put that little, little footnote at the bottom. You know, you may not read at the top, but there's that little asterisk, and you can look at the bottom of the page, and it says, unless they're annoying, unless your personalities clash, unless they smell bad. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Oh, you guys are righteous, aren't you? I look at you. You guys, I would never do that, Pastor. I love everybody. Let's move on. James chapter 2, verse 8. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I want to talk about for the next few moments today. See, the Bible's not saying that you've got to be best friends with that individual. But it's saying you need to treat them the same way that God treats you. By the way, aren't you glad that God doesn't treat you the way that you treat some people? Mm, well, that just got real now, didn't it? Let's close in prayer. I want to give you three requirements. If we really want to love others with a godly love, if we really want to love others the way that God loves them, I want to share with you three things that we need to do. Number one is this. Love yourself. Love yourself. What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you aren't loving yourself, you can't truly love your neighbor as God's called you to. There's some of us in the room today, there's some of us that are watching online today that we are just thinking so poorly of ourselves. We, dis we tear ourselves apart day in and day out. We see no value in ourselves at all. James says, man, we've got to hold on to that rule, that law, that command from God, love your neighbor as yourself, which means we've got to learn how to love who we are in Christ. I'm not saying that you need to think that you're God's gift to the world. I'm not saying that you are going to be self-centered and self-absorbed, but what I'm saying is you need to come to the place in which you understand who you are in Christ. Come on, that, that's what's important. Who you are in Christ. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am more than a conqueror. God has a plan and a purpose in my life. That God so loved me that he sent Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary. That's who I am. That's who you are. Some of you are struggling with that right now because you know you. You know your mistakes. 
You know the things you do wrong. You know what you did on the way to church today. But the good news is the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, in other words, while we were still messing up, while we were still making bad choices, while we were still doing things that we shouldn't do, God loved you so much that Jesus came and died on the cross. That's love. That's the value that God sees in you today. We gotta realize that God created us unique and special, that he has a plan for our lives. So what happens when you begin to love who you are in Christ well, a couple things happen. Number one is this. You begin to see value in yourself. This is important, guys. It's vitally important that you see value in who you are as a follower of Christ. You've got to come to the place that you see you as God sees you. Come on, that's huge right there. How does God see you? He looks at your heart. He's not impressed with the riches. He's not impressed with your social status. In fact, the poor widow in the Bible, the Bible says that she gave her last mite, that small little coin that, that couldn't hardly even purchase three grapes. But in the eyes of Jesus, he saw more value in her than he saw in the rich people that were giving in abundance. In Simon Peter, Jesus saw a rock in Matthew, the tax collector, which, by the way, he was despised by many people because he was a tax collector, Jesus saw a faithful disciple who would one day write one of our four Gospels. The disciples were amazed when Jesus took the time to speak into the life of a sinful woman at the well. Jesus saw her as an instrument for reaping a great harvest for the glory of God. I believe that God sees value in you. You may not see it yet, but it's there. It's going to take some time, perhaps. Returning to God, of you saying, God, help me to see me as you see me. Lord, help me to be who you've called me to be. Lord, help me to step out of my old self and into the self that you've created me to be. Lord, help me to see the plan and the purpose you have for my life. God, I know there's value there. Help me to grab a hold of that value. And suddenly, when you see value in yourself, suddenly you become a greater asset to the kingdom of God. How? Well, with value, there comes motivation, determination, and spiritual success. I challenge you today, begin to let God mold you and shape you. The second thing is this, you begin to see value in others. Again, you see value in self, now you can see value in others. When we begin to see others through the eyes of God, it becomes even more clear how much we should love them. First John chapter four, verse 19 says it this way, we love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because God chose to love us. We can't wait for them to become likable before we give value to them. We can't wait for them to do something nice before we give value to them. 
No, we must change the lens in which we are viewing that individual. Right now, we're viewing them with tainted lenses. We must see them through the grace and the mercy that God sees them. Our second requirement, number one is love yourself. Number two is this, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Philippians chapter two, verse four says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Don't look out only for your own interest. In other words, don't be so self-consumed, self-absorbed, that you miss out on what God has in someone else. Rather than saying, what can I get out of this? What's in this for me? We, meet, we need to begin to look at the overall effect of the situation on not only ourselves, but on those around us. Truth be told, you may deserve every achievement, every benefit, every blessing that you're getting. But if you are denying those around you, you're missing out on God's desire for your life. Come on, let that sink in. You may have all of these good things coming your way, and that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're so absorbed with self and you don't take a moment to look at those around you, you're missing out on what God has for your life. So how do I achieve this all-in relationship where I'm no longer selfish, but now I'm in pursuit of seeing value in those around me? What do I need to do? Number one, you've got to invest in the lives of others. And I hope you're taking really good notes this morning. Invest in the lives of others. Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Wow, that's completely the opposite of what society tells us. The society looks at us and says, you know what? Grab that ladder and step on anybody you need to. Because, brother, you deserve it all. It's yours to hold on to. Put it up against the wall. Climb over whoever you need to climb over. This is your moment. This is your day. But Jesus says, uh-uh. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. Do you remember the story when, when Jesus was with the disciples and the other followers, and what did he do? The Bible says he took out the outer garment, he put on an apron, picked up the basin of water, and he began to wash their feet. Now understand what's happening here. Washing of feet was the job of the lowest, of the lowest, of the lowest servants. In fact, one of the disciples says, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Because he knew in his mind, this is our Messiah. But Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, Peter, you have no part with me. Jesus demonstrated what it meant to be the lead. What it meant to be the greatest. He said, if you want to do this, you've got to be a servant, a servant of all. 
The scripture helps us to see that investing in others, it's not natural. It's not a normal thing to do. The Bible says that we become a servant. In other words, there's this moment of investing that requires a transformation of self from being absorbed to suddenly to being an individual that's all in in a pursuit of reaching the lost, of making an impact for the kingdom of God. There's got to be a change. So we invest in the lives of others. Number two, we give, give yourself for others. Give yourself for others. This takes sacrifice. This is an all-in lifestyle. Giving of yourself is not just a Sunday morning endeavor. It's a day in and day out willful choice on your behalf. Time and time again in the New Testament, we see Jesus going the extra mile, blessing an individual that perhaps no one else even saw. Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, whatever you say, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus. That's instruction for us. If I truly desire to, to go all in, if I truly desire to be what God's called me to be, then I've got to come to this place that I stop being absorbed by self and so concerned about self, but now I'm beginning to invest in those around me to reach the lost, to reach the broken, to reach the outcast, to represent Jesus to a broken world. Our third requirement is this, give a second chance. You've got to give a second chance. How many of you in the house today were ever given a second chance? Okay, I'm going to give you a second chance to answer that. <laughs> How many of you have ever been given a second chance? Yeah, I'd say 95% of us in the room. Man, we have messed up in a, in, in, a, in a pursuit of life. We've been going down this track, and we made a mistake, yet somebody took a moment to give us another chance. But this is going to require a couple things on your behalf. Number one, forgiving. Number two, forgetting. Forgiving and forgetting. Just as Jesus gave you a second chance, you need to pass on that blessing, that grace, that mercy to those around you. Think about it. If it were not for the grace of God on your life, where would you be today? Come on, think about that. If it were not for the grace of God, if it were not for the love of God, if it were not that while you were still messing up, that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, if it were not for that grace, where would you be? You start making a list, some of you'd be in prison. Some of you'd be dead. This goes on and on. I, I know those are big things, but it's It's reality. You've told me, your, some of you have told me your story. Some of you were dirty, rotten scoundrels. I know that. Before Jesus got a hold of you. But Jesus turned it all around because of his grace and his mercy. We are so prone to judge people by their past rather than what God has for them, rather than by their future. I want to give you a couple of names to help you 
understand this. Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. Paul was a rough guy. He would go into a church gathering like this and he would get, pull out the Christians and he would have some of them beaten, perhaps even to death. He would have them thrown into prison. But God radically got a hold of Paul's life. We call it his road to Damascus experience. I don't have time to tell that story this morning, but suffice it to say he was walking down the street going to Damascus and a bright light shined out of heaven blinded him and God said, why are you persecuting me? That gets your attention, wouldn't it? Man, Paul radically turned his life around. But can I be honest with you? The early church at that time, they were like, we don't think we want him coming in. They had a hard time getting past his past. It took another believer by the name of Barnabas to help the other Christians accept Paul. Then I can't help think but of Peter. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Peter was part of the inner three. He was with Jesus all the time. But yet when the rubber met the robe and times got difficult, Peter goes, I don't even know who he is. Three times he denied that he knew Jesus. Now, did Jesus give up on him? Did Jesus say, you know what, Peter? You deny me, peace out, bro. No, he didn't do that, did he? Jesus reached into Peter's life and he said, you know what, Peter? I love you. I've got a plan for your life. We may disapprove of the sin, but we've got to love the individual. See, it's not a matter of compromise, but that of compassion that drove Jesus to welcome them and forgive them. Come on, look at this. It's not compromise, but it's compassion that drove Jesus to love Saul, to love Peter, and the list goes on and on. You may not like something that somebody does. You may not always agree with their choices. But our role is to help them in the journey. We have a saying here at Encounter Church, and it's this. At Encounter Church, no one walks alone. Why do we say that so often? Because life is hard. Life's difficult. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if one part hurts, every part is involved in the hurt and the healing. In other words, we've got to take time to splint the wound, to protect it, and to help in the healing process. We need to step in and help our neighbor when they fall. We need to be a support for them, see value in their life. Just as we have value in self, we have value in them as well. Now, let me give you very quickly, let me give you our warning. This is the warning that James gets to. Your attitude will be judged. Wow. Some of you just thought back to your last week and you're like, oh, snap. Your attitude will be judged. Look at this, verse 12 and 13. So whatever you say and whatever you do, remember that you, are, you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. 
There's two different attitudes. Number one, it's showing mercy to others. And number two, refusing to show mercy. And I wonder, which is it for you today? According to Scripture, if we've been merciful, God in turn will be merciful to us. Now, don't twist the Bible here and say that mercy is earned. No, 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 that's not the case. If mercy was earned, it would be a payment. It wouldn't be mercy. You cannot earn mercy. It's simply giving graciously by God. And where God finds repentance and faith, he shows mercy. Where he finds rebellion and unbelief, he administers justice. So I challenge you today, if you need to make a change, if you need an attitude adjustment, come on, some of us remember telling our teenagers that, you need a spiritual attitude adjustment would you let God do that today because we're called by God to to love our neighbor as ourselves it's going to require a daily choice on your behalf there are going to be moments when you're not want you're not going to want to offer mercy be honest there are going to be moments you're like uh uh you get no mercy today because that was the dumbest thing you've ever done come on right but it's in that moment that we got to step back and say Lord help me not to respond as Chris but Lord help me to respond as you because I want everything that I say and everything I do, I want it to be a representative of who you are. Are you ready to go all in? Are you ready to make that commitment to God? Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit in me. Lord, move me into that attitude adjustment that needs to be made in my life you bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.